Family Life Church. Hey, how you doing? Hey, if you're new here, when the pastor says good morning, that means come on in and sit down. Just help you out. No, uh, good morning. Welcome. Um, I am P- Pastor Ben. Um, pastor John, who is normally here, um, him and his family are away on vacation this week. Good for them. So hopefully they're having a good time, a good relaxing time where they are. But I will here this morning. I'm excited to be here. What an awesome worship service. What a wonderful day. What a great way to start out our morning. <clears throat> Have you ever prayed for a miracle and it didn't happen? That can be tough, right? That can leave you with a lot of questions. That can leave you with some, some doubts. You might ask yourself, did God not hear me? Did I not pray correctly? Did I do something wrong? What's going on here? This morning, we are continuing our series called I Am. And this series looks at the statements that Jesus made about himself. He said, I am. And, we, and then we learn who he is. And not just information, not just what the stories tell us, but we want to learn who he is. We want to learn about his character. We want to learn about his heart. So the statement that we're going to look at this morning is found in John chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can go to John chapter 11. Um, That's where we're going to look at the next statement that he made. Now, the statement comes in the middle of this story. So I can't really talk about the I am statement that Jesus made here without looking at the whole story. So we're going to look at the whole story that is uh, John chapter 11. Um, and I'm not going to read all of it. It's not going to be up on the screens. I'm just going to summarize it, and then we're going to look at some of the, the key points and the key scriptures that are there. So the story that we're talking about this morning is about a man named Lazarus who lived in the town of Bethany, which is near Jerusalem, and he lived with his two sisters, Martha and Mary. Jesus knew this family, these two sisters and their brother. He knew them well, um, and they were good friends. In fact, as we see, he had a deep love for this family. And so, unfortunately, Lazarus became very sick. It doesn't tell us what he had, um, doesn't tell us his symptoms. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably COVID, uh, as most things that we don't know are. But he's very, very sick. And so Martha and Mary, they send a message to Jesus, and they say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Maybe I'm reading between the lines here, but when I look at that, I kind of wonder if that's a passive-aggressive message when she says, the one that you love is sick. She wants to highlight that you love this person who is sick. It kind of reminds me when I was a kid and uh, my mom would say to my dad, your son is causing trouble over here, sending a subtle hint This is something you need to take care of. So naturally, Jesus gets this message, and he is, you know, the miracle-working son of God. So, of course, he quickly hurries over to Bethany to heal Lazarus of his sickness. Or at least, that's what you would expect him to do. But actually, Jesus decides to wait a couple of days. Maybe he's in the middle of teaching a seminar. I'm not really sure, but... He decides he's going to wait a couple days before he goes to visit Lazarus. During that time, Lazarus died. Whatever sickness he had, it took him. 
Not only did Lazarus, by the time Jesus arrives in Bethany, not only does Lazarus die, but he is buried and he's in the tomb for four days. So not only did Jesus miss an opportunity to heal him, he missed the funeral. So that's going to be kind of awkward when he finally shows up in Bethany a couple days later. But he goes to Bethany four days after Lazarus has been buried. Hearing that Jesus is coming, Martha runs out, of, she runs out to meet him out in the street outside of town. And she runs up to him, and the first thing she says is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I don't exactly know what tone of voice she said that in. I don't know what she was feeling when she said it. But you've got to imagine that there's a little bit of hurt, maybe a little bit of accusation there. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened like this. And can you blame her? Jesus responds, and he says to her, Martha, don't worry. You will see your brother again. When Martha hears this, I imagine she probably takes that like one of those cliche things that people say at a funeral, and they say, oh, you will, you will see your loved one again someday. I think that's how she takes it, which, you know, is never really helpful to somebody when they're in that moment of hurt. So side note, don't tell them that if you're ever at somebody, a friend's funeral. Um, so he says, don't, you will see your brother again someday. And she says, yes, yeah, I know. We'll see each other someday. There will be a resurrection, and we'll all be together in heaven, and it will be great. And it, she's saying, this is true, but this doesn't ease my pain right now, so I don't really want to hear this. And Jesus responds to her, and this is where the, the I am statement comes. He says, I am the resurrection. Martha said, yeah, I know. I'll see my brother someday. There will be a resurrection. And Jesus said, no, don't miss this. I am the resurrection. I am the life. And anyone who believes in me will never die. And Martha actually responds and she says, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God. After Jesus has this conversation with Martha, um, Mary runs up, and he has a, a very similar conversation with Mary. Mary says the same thing Martha said. Mary says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's probably expressing some of the same frustrations, but it I feels like Martha or Mary is a little more overcome with sadness. The Bible says she fell at his feet and began weeping. She's just so sad, like, why did this happen? Why did it have to happen like this? She comes out to Jesus. She's surrounded actually by several friends and family who have come out uh, to grieve with her. And she sees Mary and Martha and this, this uh, friends and family just weeping over the death of Lazarus. And Jesus, the Bible tells us, is deeply moved by what he sees. This brings us to a verse in the Bible that um, everybody will know from memory if you've ever had to memorize a verse because it's a very easy verse to memorize. It is the shortest verse in the Bible. So when someone says, you need to memorize a memory verse, this is an easy go-to. I don't know if you know it already. It's John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. If you've never memorized scripture before, congratulations, you just memorized your first verse. Jesus wept. Short and simple, right to the point. But it's also a very... A profound statement that Jesus 
wept when he saw what this family was going through. And when the people who are gathered around can see Jesus weeping for the loss of his friend, they are understandably a little confused. And they're saying, this is Jesus who does miracles. And here he is, he's weeping, he's devastated because somebody who was sick died. And the question is, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also have kept this man from dying? If he is really that sad, if this is really that devastating to him, couldn't he have done something about this? Actually, I think, I got to be honest, um, I think this is the question that someone is saying that everyone in the room is thinking. You know, they're not all saying it, but, but in fact, John says, some of the people have said, and it makes me wonder, maybe John is the one who said it, but of course, he doesn't want to say that. He's like, you know, some of the other people, it's kind of like when I say to my wife, um, the kids are wondering when you're going to make dinner. It's a question that everyone was thinking. Couldn't he have saved Lazarus? So from there, they go and they visit the tomb of Lazarus. Presumably, Jesus wants to pay his respects, um, say some final words, and just see where he's buried, maybe lay some flowers or something. But then, out of nowhere, Jesus says, open up the tomb. I mean, can you imagine? You take someone to visit a grave and they say, you know what? Open it up. So Martha, being the sensible one here, points out, um, yeah, that's a bad idea, Jesus. He's been dead for four days. And I know you're like the son of God and, and you can do anything, but you cannot handle the stench of a four-day-old dead body. It's not going to be good. It's going to knock you over. But Jesus reassures Martha, listen, Martha, trust me. If you believe in me, you will see the goodness of God. So they open up the tomb, and after a real quick prayer, Jesus says, it says in a loud voice, he shouts, Lazarus, come out! And to everyone's astonishment, Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And, you know, when I, when I used to read this story, hear this story, I pictured like just a rush of orchestral music and maybe slow motion Lazarus. I was like, yeah, and he hugs his sisters. But actually, I was looking at it this week and I read it a little more closely. And it says he comes stumbling out of the tomb, all wrapped up with a cloth over his face. So it was probably more like, and then Jesus, of course, says the sensible thing is, unwrap his face, guys. <laughs> so they unwrap him, they go back to Bethany, and they have a big party. The story ends in verse 45. It says that many of the people who had come to town to, for the funeral and to grieve with Mary and Martha, many of them saw this miracle, and they put their faith in Jesus. So there's a wonderful ending to this story, but I want to propose that the question that comes up in verse 37, still stands unanswered. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's great that he saved or uh, brought him back to life, but it didn't have to get that far. He could easily have stopped him. We know, as many of those people I'm sure knew, that Jesus does miracles. He walked on water. 
He turned water into wine. He opened a blind man's eyes. One time there was, a, it was a, uh, somebody who was sick, and Jesus didn't even go visit them. He just said a word, and the servant was healed. Remember that story? Couldn't he even just said a word, and Lazarus would have been healed? There's all kinds of stories of Jesus doing miracles and healings and miraculous things. Why didn't he do something to save Lazarus? This, I propose, is the primary question in the story. This is the primary question that we should be asking. It's a question, I think, that we all ask. If Jesus is really the resurrection and the life, why did he allow this situation to happen? If he's really the resurrection, couldn't he save my marriage? If he's really the resurrection, couldn't he heal my child who is sick right now? Couldn't he provide the money that he knows we desperately need? Couldn't he do something about this? If he was here right now, it wouldn't be like this. I think the question that we're all asking when we go through something painful is, is God really good? I got to imagine that's what Mary and Martha were thinking. How can God really be good if this is what's happening? Let's pause for a moment. Lord Jesus, we want to invite you right now to speak to us through this scripture. Open our minds, open our ears, and open our hearts so we can learn who you are. Amen. I want to look at a couple of key verses in the story and make a couple of points. Um, so we can better understand what Jesus really meant when he said, I am the resurrection. The first point that stands out to me um, all throughout this story is Jesus knows best. Jesus knows best. He knows what he's doing, um, and he is not persuaded by other people's opinions or their needs. He knows what he's doing. So uh, when Lazarus first becomes sick, sick, Martha and Mary send for Jesus to come and heal Lazarus, but yet he waits two days. In verse 4, it even says, he gives us the reason. He says, this is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So he delayed so that God would get more glory. He delayed so that more people would believe. After waiting two days... Jesus tells his disciples, okay, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him. Now, of course, we all know what Jesus meant when he said, he's asleep and I'm going to wake him. But the disciples, they kind of missed the cue here. And so they went, oh, well, Lazarus is sick and now he's resting. Why would you wake him up? Let him rest. If, he, if he's sick, he needs some sleep. Don't wake him up, Jesus. And then Jesus says, ugh. Guys, Lazarus is dead, okay? And then he says this statement that strikes me. He says, and for your sake, I'm glad. What? You can't say that. He's saying, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad. What? <laughs> Jesus? No. How can you say that? But he gives us the answer right in this verse. He says, I am glad for your sake so that you may believe. And when I read that, I felt like he's talking to the disciples, but he's also talking to me, and he's also talking to you. He said, I'm glad so that you will believe, and you will believe, and you will believe when you hear what happens next. It doesn't, you know, 
it doesn't seem to me like this is the best way to get people to believe. This doesn't seem to me like the best way to get your message out. If you're the Savior, letting people die so you can resurrect them, there's got to be a better way to get the message out, right? To inspire faith. But Jesus knows best. It doesn't seem obvious to us in the moment, but Jesus knows the beginning and Jesus knows the end. And he knows what needs to happen and he knows the best way to do it. Um, I, like I said, I'm one of the pastors here at this church, uh, but for many years uh, before I worked here, uh, I worked some part-time jobs. I, worked, uh, I, didn't, I was involved with a lot of the ministry here, but I was working part-time for a lot of that. Um, and if you ever work part-time for a long time, it gets old after a while. And I was really asking God to give me uh, you know, a full-time job, a little more financial security, a little more stability. Uh, and I've been looking forward to that for a while. And um, a couple of years ago, I had a job opportunity that came up. Um, I heard of a business that was hiring. It seemed like it was a good fit for me. Uh, I knew what the starting salary was, and it, it seemed like a pretty good, like it would, be, it would be really a blessing. It would be that financial security that I was hoping for. Um, so I went in for an interview, and I thought the interview went really, really well. To be honest, I actually thought this business was probably pretty lucky to have found such a qualified candidate for their position. Apparently, they didn't feel the same way as I did because they ended up offering the job to somebody else. And I was really disappointed. I was like, Jesus, I thought this was like the answer to that prayer. This was like a great fit for me. Um, it was here in town, so I could still be involved with the church, but I was going to get that financial security I needed. Like, what, 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 like, what went wrong? I was charming. I was funny. I, I knew it. I was prepared. I thought this was God's answer to prayer, so why didn't this work out? And then not too much longer after that, like maybe six months after that, Pastor John approached me about working full-time on staff here at our church. Um, and I ended up taking that job which also provided financial security, but also was much more in line with the call that God had for me. It was much more fulfilling. It was much more of what um, I was meant to do with my life. Um, and it's very possible I would have missed that if um, I had somehow charmed my way into a job that I <laughs> wasn't intended to have. Um, he had something better lined up for me. And I got to imagine in this room, where there are, are many believers who have followed the Lord for a while, you've probably had something similar happen. You've probably had that situation where there was something you thought was really good, maybe a house you thought you were going to buy, or a promotion you thought you were going to get, or somebody you thought you were going to marry, and it didn't work out. But in the long run, the Lord had something better in store for you. And when you look back, it's easy to see it looking back, right? Like, oh, thank God that you didn't give me what I asked for. You gave me something better. It's easy to see when you're looking back. But when you're in that moment, you just have to trust that Jesus knows best. He knows what he's doing. And in his wisdom, Jesus tests our faith through difficult situations, through painful situations. He tests our faith. Now, I want to be very, very clear. I don't believe that Jesus causes our pain. Jesus didn't kill Lazarus. Jesus um, didn't infect the world with COVID. Jesus didn't start wildfires in Canada. He doesn't cry, try to create pain in your life. But I do think he allows those situations, and I think he uses those situations to test us. 
to test our faith, that we may grow in our faith. So let's look at Martha for just a minute. When Martha first sees Jesus, what does she say? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And it's an interesting statement because clearly she has confidence that if Jesus is here, Lazarus gets healed, right? She seems pretty, pretty confident in that. So she has enough faith to believe for a miraculous healing. So it's not like she has no faith. She's believing this is Jesus. He can do miracles, right? But the problem is her, she wasn't expecting uh, resurrection. She was expecting Jesus to heal Lazarus, but she was not expecting that he could raise him back from the dead. So she thought Jesus has a short window. He can do a, a miracle, and then that's it. When Jesus says, your brother will rise again, and she says, yes, I believe, but then when Jesus tells them, okay, open up the tomb, suddenly she's like, whoa, 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 hang on, wait, wait. Her reaction is she's worried about the smell. So she says she believes in Jesus, but her actions reveal maybe deep down she doesn't really have a deep, that deep of a faith. Resurrection wasn't on her radar. Healing was. One author, as I was studying this, one author described Martha's faith as true but weak. Anyone else here ever feel like your faith is true but weak? And that's why he tests our faith. That's why he deepens our faith through struggles. Not so he can point out your failures, not so he can point out your weak faith, it's so you can deepen your faith. Because it's easy to say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, I believe in Jesus. We can all say that. But when you go through a crisis, that's when we find out, what do you really believe? That's where we find out what's really deeper. I hate going to the doctor. I don't know if anyone else is like me. I hate going to the doctor, and the only time I ever go to the doctor on purpose is if um, I have to take a physical for something, right? And um, the doctor will always say, so, hey, how you doing? How, are you healthy? Yes, I'm good. But of course, no good doctor is just going to take my word for it. They have to do tests, right? So you know what doctors do. They weigh, you, weigh me and measure me and listen to my heart and check my blood pressure and um, you know, test your eyesight by looking at that board with the random letters and a little microscope in your ear and look at your ears and test your reflexes and all this other things to see. And then after like an hour of sitting around and getting poked and everything, the doctor says, good news, you're healthy. Yeah, I know, I told you. <clears throat> and some of these tests can be uncomfortable, can even be painful sometimes, like that one with the blood pressure where it squeezes on your arm really hard and it feels like it's dying, and, and I don't know what that tells them, some numbers about your heart, that's good. And so these tests can be uncomfortable and painful, but they're important because they allow the doctor to see beyond the surface, to see beyond what you're saying, to see, are you really healthy? What's it really like in, inside? And that's what happens when we go through tests. Jesus tests us. He says, yes, I know you say you believe, but what happens if? What happens if you have pain? What happens if you have loss? What happens if you have struggle? Let's see where there's something that might need a little bit of help. And, of course, knowing that these tests are necessary doesn't make them less painful. 
right? Knowing that they're important, that they're good, that they're for our health, doesn't make it easier for us to do them. But in those moments, it's comforting to know that Jesus sees our pain. Jesus sees our pain. He's not a drill sergeant standing to the side saying, embrace the pain, son, it'll make you a man. If it doesn't hurt, it's because you're not working hard enough. Come on. <coughs> Even though he knows this painful situation is going to be worth it, he still cares. He still empathizes with what you're feeling. His heart breaks when he sees the pain that we have to go through. And if you don't believe me, just look at the story because it's, it's obvious. We already talked about this. There's a clear example in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, and he saw the Jews who came along with her, they were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was troubled. He sees Mary weeping, and he is moved. Because he, he knows how difficult, how painful this loss is for them, and he, and he weeps with them. This part of the story reminds me of um, the lyrics of a song that I love about this thing. The lyrics go like this. I've been thinking about how you wept for Lazarus with tears on your cheeks and resurrection on your lips. Tears on your cheeks and resurrection on your lips. So this is really mind-blowing that he's weeping with Mary and Martha, knowing that their brother is going to be alive again moments later. He could have just skipped the weeping and raised Lazarus and it would be all done. But he feels the pain that they're in. In the moment before the resurrection, he sees the pain and he weeps with them for this, the pain that they're in at the moment. I want you to know right now that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. If you're in the middle of a painful situation, if you're in the middle of a loss, he sees you. Just because it hurts doesn't mean he's forgotten. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Doesn't mean he's not watching. John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. But I su suggest that's not the last time he wept. Do you think it's possible he's ever looked at your life and wept? Do you think he's ever seen your pain and wept? I want you to know that Jesus sees our pain. But I also want you to know that Jesus sees more than our pain. He sees past our pain. He sees things that we cannot see. He knows what's on the other side of this pain. He knows there's resurrection. He knows there's new life. He knows there's joy. Amen? <clears throat> a couple years ago, a couple summers ago, I went uh, on a short little hike with my kids um, up the creek uh, next to the park to the falls. I don't know if how many of you guys have ever hiked up to the Warsaw Falls. If you haven't, it's beautiful. You should go on a hike there. And so um, we went on a hike there with our kids, and it's like, I don't know, maybe half a mile, a mile maybe. It's not super long, but when you're hiking through a creek and it's slippery and stony and whatever, muddy, about like three-quarters of the way, the kids start, you know, complaining a little bit. They're tired. They're hungry. 
they've seen water on rocks, they're bored, and they're like, can we go home now? We, can we turn around? And I'm like, no, 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 we're almost there. We're almost at the waterfall. Because I've seen the waterfall before. I know, what it, I know how big it is. I know how, how cool it is. But they haven't seen it. They just see like maybe just like a, pot, a pool of water and a little waterfall. And they're like, yeah, we've seen waterfalls. This is good. We've seen it. Can we go back? And I'm like, trust me. Just keep hiking. I know it's slippery. Maybe you banged up your knee. This is tough. It's worth it. Around the next bend, it's going to blow your mind. And of course, we'd get around the next bend. And I'm like, well, well the next one after that. But finally, after a few more minutes of hiking, we finally come around the corner to where the waterfall is, and it's way bigger than I remembered it. It's huge, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And the kids, of course, they've forgotten totally about the difficulty of the hike, and they're running up under the water and, and getting splashed in it, and it's wonderful. But think about that moment when you're three-quarters of the way, and you're like, this is too hard, this is too painful, this is not worth it. You need somebody who knows where you're going. You need somebody who's already seen the waterfall and says, it's worth it. I know it's hard, but it's got to be worth it. Jesus sees past our pain, and he knows there's something better on the other side. Before he called Lazarus out of the tomb, he, he prayed a little prayer, which I think is an interesting prayer. <laughs> he says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And then he says, uh, I know that you always hear me, I'm just saying this for the benefit of the people who are standing here so that they will believe. <laughs> you ever have somebody who's praying less at God and more at you? It kind of feels like what Jesus is doing. It's like, dear Heavenly Father, I hope that these people will catch what I'm doing. Through all of the questioning, through all of the hurt, the weeping, the misunderstanding, he never lost sight of the goal of this story is that people will believe. Father, don't let them miss the point that they would have faith. Um, and in verse 35, like I said, all the people who saw the miracle, they put their faith in Jesus. But th think about Martha. Martha had enough faith to believe her healing, but she didn't have enough faith to expect a resurrection from the dead. Remember I said she had true but weak faith. I got to believe after receiving her brother back from the tomb that that has changed. I would imagine now she has faith that is true and strong. Would you expect that? Now she probably has faith to believe for a resurrection. Speaking of which, this story happens a, a couple days, maybe a week before Jesus is taken, hung on a cross, dies, and then is resurrected three days later. Is it possible that the resurrection of Lazarus is necessary to prepare people to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Is it possible this is necessary so that the gospel will spread and we would all be here today? What Mary, Martha and Mary went through, well, I'm sure it was very painful, but Jesus could see past the pain and he knew that it was worth it. So, whatever you're facing today, I want to encourage you to remember that Jesus is the resurrection. That's what he said. I am the resurrection. He is your resurrection. He didn't say, I am capable of performing resurrections. He didn't say, I am planning a resurrection later today. He said, I am resurrection. It's who I am. 
It's what I do. That's who he is. He brings things to life. Amen? And he can bring life anytime he chooses. Martha said, oh, I know I'll see my brother. Someday there will be a resurrection. And Jesus says, I'm the resurrection anytime I choose. And that might be on your schedule. It might not be on your schedule. It might not be when you would hope for, when you would like it. But he picks when he does his miracles. <clears throat> I don't have all the answers to your situation. I know in this room there are probably a lot of painful situations. People who have lost loved ones, people who are sick, or have friends who are sick, who have very difficult things. And I don't have all the answers for why those things happen and how they happen. But I do know that if you invite the resurrection into your life, things will begin to grow. Life will begin to happen. If you invite the one who is the resurrection into your situation, he will bring life. Earlier I said that the underlying question in this story is, is God really good? And I think that's a good question for us to think about. But there's another question that comes up in this story that I want to point out to you. It's when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And if you believe in me, you will never die. And then he asks Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe he is the resurrection? Do you believe that he is the life? Do you believe that he has good things for you? Even if it's hard right now, he's got something good he can do. A miracle that he can do. Martha says she believed, but then when Jesus said, open the tomb, we found out what she really thought. You say you believe. Are you willing to show Jesus the pain that you have buried? Are you willing to show Jesus the dead things that you're mourning? Are you willing to show Jesus the loss that you're hiding? Are you willing to admit that your faith maybe has some weaknesses? That you've been tested and you found there are some doubts in there? Are you willing to admit that you're facing some disappointments? If I'm being really honest, this is where I'm at. There are things that I was expecting to happen in life that just didn't happen the way I wanted, that I expected. But if you're facing those, maybe you're in a place where things have gotten so bad, you're not even hoping for a miracle anymore, you're just done caring. Do you believe he brings dead things back to life. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. If you're in that place of pain um, or that place of doubt, then pray with me. Jesus, we believe you are the resurrection. We invite you to bring new life into our situations. And we trust that whatever you do is good. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, I actually want to close by doing something. We don't normally do this when we, when we, when we uh, wrap up, but I think it could be good. Um, is there anyone here this morning that could use a little prayer? Maybe you are facing something or going through something, and you could use uh, someone else to pray for you. I'm going to ask you, if you're so bold, Raise your hand, um, and if someone near you has their hand raised, I'm going to ask you to go to them, 
um, gently place your hands on them. And we're going to pray real quickly for those um, around us who need, who need prayers or anyone else uh, who could use a little prayer this morning for something they're going through. One over here and one back here. <clears throat> if someone could just quickly gather around those, those folks. Anyone else? I don't want to miss anyone who, wants, who would like prayer this morning. Go ahead and pray. I'll, I'll, I'll close in prayer, but go ahead and lead out as you pray for those. <clears throat> We thank you, Jesus, that you do miracles. We thank you that you're capable of healing and providing and restoring. And we ask you in these, these situations where people are raising their hands right now that you would do a miracle um, and you would move in their lives today. We thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for joining us this morning. Have a good week. Um, have a safe 4th of July. And uh, we'll see you all next week. <laughs>